I really feel the Holy Spirit has gone before me. And I trust that what I share just kind of dovetails in. I know it will with what God has already been doing amongst us. Where do pears come from? Pears, you know, those funny things, green things often, aren't they? Funny shape, bell end and all that. Where does a pear come from? We're not so connected with farming and food production these days, are we? So some might say it comes from a fruit bowl. Others might say pears come from a bag. Others might say pears, they come from a supermarket on a van. At our place, we have them coming on a van. So exciting. Well, some of the clever ones amongst you, some of you who've been to school and were listening, you might say, I know pears come from trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pears grow on trees. Even we know that. Well, I like to beg to differ. Pears, in fact, come from orchards. Hey? Because pear trees, I'm told, only bear fruit where two or three are gathered. Or more. We're reading this morning from Acts chapter 2. We're, we're in our big series of table, bowls, and cages, picking up the themes of a prophetic word we received back in October. And at the moment, we're going through a little mini-series looking at the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And I'm at the end of Acts chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, look it up. If you've got it on your notes, uh, it's in the red right at the top of page 2. And this is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Holy Spirit, I ask again that you would come and speak to us through this passage, through the things you've already been saying, just bring them to life for us. Help us to hear you, to respond to you, to be changed by your word, that your uh, fruit may bear in our lives together for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen. Amen. Wow. What a church. Hey, did you read that? I I once went to a church like that. Problem was, I joined it. It's still like that. The first verse here that we looked at says, They devoted themselves. And it's worth thinking, who are the they? We haven't read the preceding verses, so who are the they that they're talking about? Well, the they include the 120 believers that were already there before the Spirit came at the beginning of Pentecost. You can read about them at the end of chapter 1. But that they also included another 3,000 new believers in Jesus who'd just been added. So looking at the previous verse, I've got it in my Bible, you won't have it there. It says, those who accepted his message, Peter's message, he stood up and preached about Jesus, were baptized, it's in water, 
and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So 3,120 are the they. But you know, the rapid growth of Christianity that followed this day that we read about in our New Testament wasn't simply the result of a few spirit-filled believers. It was the result of many spirit-filled churches. And so the they actually didn't stop at the 3,120 for long. The church grew every day, it told us at the end of our passage. In fact, by the time you get to Acts chapter 4, we're told there are 5,000 households now in the church. And this passage we're looking at today is the first of eight summary descriptions of the church that we've got in the book of Acts. And yes, there were challenges. And yes, there were uh, problems at times. But the character of that first church was retained wave after wave as Christianity grew. It, was, it, it continued in the DNA of every church, church after church. In fact, so much so that even beyond our New Testament period, Aristides of Athens explained to the emperor of the Roman Empire in AD 125, why the number of Christians across his empire had grown so quickly and so uh, immensely. He said this, and I'll put it in your notes as well. They walk in all humility and kindness. Falseness is not found among them. They love one another. They do not despise the widow or grieve the orphan. He that has, distribute liberally to him that has not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if he were their own brother. For they call themselves brothers, not after the flesh, but after the spirit and in God. When one of their poor passes away from the world and one of them sees him, he provides for his burial according to his ability. And if they hear that any of their number is imprisoned or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it is possible that he may be delivered, they deliver him. And if there is among them any man who is poor and needy, and they have not an abundance of necessaries, they fast two or three days so that they may supply the needy with the food they need. And they observe scrupulously the commandments of their Messiah. You see, right from the start, for the hundred years and beyond, the special quality about the community of God was there. And Luke lists in the passage we read kind of 15 or so different characteristics all about them, but all of them point to this special thing, this quality they had among them. So what is this special quality? What is it that is going on amongst them? Well, Luke uses a word in verse 42 translated as fellowship. Well, the original Greek is something like koinonia. Verse 42, got it, to fellowship. He uses that word to kind of sum up, if you like, that special thing. Luke just uses it here, but the other New Testament writers pick up on it. It's included 17 times across our Bible. And to us, maybe the word fellowship feels a little bit old-fashioned. Although if I said fellowship of the ring to any Lord of the Rings fans, maybe you've got a bit of a, an impression now beyond that old-fashioned image. I quite like the word togetherness. 
Togetherness, to me, I think sums up the oneness, the unity, the shared life, the communal dynamic that was going on in this early church. And also, lo and behold, three times in this passage comes the word together. Look at it with me uh, in that red bit at the top in verse uh, 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. It speaks of their generosity. Verse 46, it says that they met together in the temple courts. They met together. It speaks of them meeting in small gatherings and in larger gatherings. Then further on in verse 46, it says, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. It speaks of their hospitality. So where did this togetherness, this thing that suddenly just materialized amongst them, where did it come from? I want to suggest to you this morning, it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You see, if you try to create this kind of community by going through it like a checklist of behaviors, oh, we must do this, oh, we must do that, you've kind of missed it. You've missed the point. The first church didn't do that. They didn't read the New Testament to get it. The New Testament hadn't been written. They didn't go even, it seems, on a discipleship program on how to be a good Christian. Go to church, say your prayers. They didn't do that. Immediately, this thing sprung up. They weren't trying to copy an existing model. Oh, we'll be like the church down the road. Let's try and do like that. They seem to be going well for them. Let's do what they're doing. They didn't do that. No, they were simply spirit-filled believers in Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit had come upon them. We celebrated it over the last few weeks and empowered them individually, yes, to be witnesses of Jesus and his resurrection. But the Holy Spirit has also come upon them supernaturally in a communal way, in a corporate way. It's so essential that new believers are baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's so essential that as believers, we go on being filled again and again with the Holy Spirit. It's why in our Alpha course, we spend a whole day looking at the Holy Spirit. It's why as one of the discipleship tracks in these 40 days of discipleship, it's going to be the Holy Spirit course. We love to have it. We love to give opportunity again and again for people to experience the Holy Spirit. It's why we have opportunity on a Sunday to be prayed for, fulfilling for the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand, I think, that this togetherness that existed in this first church was new and unique to Christianity. Church togetherness like this is a miracle. As much a miracle as the signs and wonders that were still going on that the apostles were performing that was filling everybody with awe. There, I understand, you know, in our biological families, there's often a bond. Sometimes there isn't, but sometimes there is. I understand that amongst military uh, veterans, there's a camaraderie. I understand that in a fan base, there's a sense of belonging. Yeah, we're Liverpool supporters. Yeah, we like so-and-so. There's a, there's, a, there's a bonding there. There's a belonging. But there's nothing like the togetherness among God's people filled by his spirit. You know, at times I'm so impressed by the Israelites in our Old Testament. They had such a strong sense of community, and even today that still exists very much. Yet I do think it isn't the same as this. Only after the Holy Spirit came upon believers in Jesus is this kind of togetherness possible. 
And it's because this togetherness is a byproduct. It's an outworking. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, you're saying to me, hold on, Tim, hold on. The fruit of the Spirit, we know about this. You read about it in Galatians 5 to 22, don't you? The, the fruit of the Spirit are those nine qualities, those nine characteristics. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Gentleness and self-control. I've missed one out. What is it? Joy, thank you. <laughs> oh, how we miss that joy? Yes, but you see, though the fruit of the Spirit, those characteristics, they, they aren't, you can't bear them on your own. Don't get me wrong. I, if I take a day to myself, I just want to be restored, go and do the things I want to do for a day. A bit of a me day, and we need them every now and then. I'll go probably for a long walk in the countryside. I'll probably go for a coffee with Caroline. I'll like to watch a film in the evening. And you know what? I'm full of love for you guys. I'm full of patience for my family. I'm so at peace with God and the world and me. It's easy, is it not? It's easy to do that. I do love you on the other days as well. You know, pears grow best in orchards. Um, I checked with my dad last night, and it's true. He had some pear trees. He planted them himself, three in his garden. I said, Dad, why are you planting three pear trees? I mean, how many pears do you want? And he said, well, no, actually, these are tripoids. So um, they, they, each pear tree has to be pollinated by two other trees. You can get, get duploids, am I using the right word, which only needs one other tree to pollinate it. They're not self-pollinating. Now you'll go and Google this later, and you'll probably find a variety somewhere that is self-pollinating. But the vast majority of pears, traditionally, are not self-pollinating. They're not fertile on their own. They only produce when you've got enough. Well, he said one of his trees died, but it, they still produce fruit. How's that then, Dad? Because you told me they're tripoids. Ah, the neighbor's got a pear tree. Okay, okay, okay. The theory still lasts. Well, either it's true or it's just a wheeze from the garden center manager when my dad came up looking for a pear tree. I don't know. Maybe he fell for it. I'm not going to tell him if you don't. True togetherness is experienced within the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit experience this kind of perfect togetherness, this community, this connectedness, as Rosemary was talking about. When we come to Christ then, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're kind of brought into that connectedness, that togetherness of God. Isn't that wonderful? That's why the Trinity is so glorious, so profound, so beautiful. Uh, I'm just going to give you a few, a few Bible verses here. I think they're referenced in the notes. John summarizes what it means to be a Christian in 1 John 1 verse 3. It's those who are having fellowship with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's because we're of that togetherness that we've been brought into that then we can have togetherness one to another. Paul talks about um, taking the bread and the wine in worship. And he says... We're, we're participating in the body and the blood of Christ when we do so. There's two breaking bread references in our passage, and we're going to break bread together after I've spoken. But it's as, as we participate with Christ, as we gain that oneness with him that communion demonstrates and maybe also helps us come into, that then we can participate. And enjoy a oneness amongst other Jesus worshippers. Paul signs off his second letter to Corinthians with a fantastic prayer. He prays this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's a wonderful prayer. Why does he put it at the end of his letter? Because we need to keep on praying for this. But we've experienced the Spirit. If you know anything about 1 and 2 Corinthians, they, they knew something of the Spirit. But he said, no, no, you need to keep praying that you would know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit again and again, a fresh and a new, every day, in greater measure. Why? Because then, Corinthians, because you're, you're not treating one another very well, by the way, then you may be able to have fellowship like that with one another. It's a wonderful prayer. You see, it's fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's being filled by him again and again that provides the basis of church fellowship with one another. So we need to keep praying it. I think, church, we can be encouraged from this. We can be encouraged. The same kind of stuff that's going on here is going on here. And it's wonderful. We hear testimony to it at times. We don't all know everything that's going on sometimes, but it's going on nonetheless. Looking at generosity to start with, you'll have given over £200,000 this financial year to the work of King's Church. Wow, look around. Where's that come from? It comes from you and me, and him and her, and us. Wow. You know, because Dale shared it a little bit, we're looking at a forecast of around 210, but we're stretching a need for 225, so we're still praying for 12, 15,000. But the generosity's there. 16,000 pounds we gave away from the offering that was taken at December. You, you gave that. And we gave it away to people and charities outside of us. The generosity of God is here amongst us. This same kind of stuff. Did you know that 80 of us are actively involved in a life group or with impact? on a Tuesday or a Friday. Actively involved, look around, there's barely 80 of us here. Maybe there's just about 80. There's 80 of us involved in a small group, doing this kind of stuff, sharing lives, worshiping together, getting the Bible open, praying, ministering in the spirit to one another, doing this kind of together stuff. 95 people went on a discipleship course at this church over the last 12 months. I'm doing a bit of double counting because some of you are keen. I tell you, some of you are keen. You keep coming. And, and this term, yeah, I'm there. Wow. Wow, I'll count you as double. 95. Because we love this stuff. We love coming together, learning together, growing together in God. It's wonderful to hear, and I, I get to hear maybe more than most, of just some of the little snippets of one anothering that goes on in this church. It's wonderful. It's humbling. It's glorious. It's this. When meals are being made for people who are ill or going through the mill or, or, or just struggling. When people are phoning one another up, going around, inviting people around to their home, having meals and fun together, organizing occasions and events and, and food. It's absolutely wonderful. But we know, don't we, and we mentioned as elders, it's been referenced this morning, that we felt under attack, under spiritual attack, around this theme of togetherness as a church over the last little while. And we're a little bit tentative. Oh, should we bring? Yes, no, we're going to bring this. But we haven't really brought that kind of thing before. Well, let's do it now. And I tell you what, I'm, I've been so impressed by the response across us as a church. We've been prayerful. There's been more prayer going on. 
New prayer initiatives, Prayer 365, it's been going on. People have been looking out for one another. The prophetic has risen. Prophetic words are coming, really significant ones that we can really lean into for a period of time. And then there's breakthroughs. We've been hearing again about them. Healing answers to prayer in different ways. But we shouldn't be surprised that our togetherness has been attacked. And we shouldn't be surprised if it goes on being attacked. So lo and behold, right here in the first church, their togetherness was attacked. So in Acts chapter 5, just a couple of chapters later, their generosity came under attack. Ananias and Sapphira claimed to, give, uh, to have given the entire proceeds of a house sale to the church. There it is, it's all there. Well, in fact, they'd kept a bit to themselves. And the scripture refers to that as lying to the Holy Spirit. It wasn't the amount they did or didn't give, it was the deception. And when confronted about it, they immediately died. Their generosity came under attack. Their hospitality came under attack. Get to Acts chapter 6. And there's some complaints going on amongst those who were receiving food parcels. And they had to completely overhaul their kind of food bank procedures and even their whole church leadership structure to kind of deal with these complaints of favoritism because lo and behold, favoritism was going on in their generosity. It came under attack. They had to kind of completely reorganize themselves. Their meetings came under attack by Acts chapter 8. There was so much persecution of Christians going on that many of them suddenly decided, we're off, we're going. And they left Jerusalem and the surrounds, and they went to other towns and cities and part of the world. But they've been meeting daily together in Solomon's colonnade. They've been gathering in houses. They've got to know one another. Now what? What's going to happen to this church? Is it all going to be lost? Are they going to gather? There's no churches in these other towns, not until they get there and maybe start something. But they did, and they carried on. So we shouldn't be surprised. So what do we need? We need more of the Holy Spirit. I know sometimes that answer feels like Sunday school, like a scratched record. I think they say that every week. You get a bit of a Groundhog Day around here, don't you? We need more of the Holy Spirit. We do. We do. And sometimes we don't realize just how much we do. And sometimes we don't realize for how many reasons we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit for this, to keep going on. I might have a harder sell on you this morning for receiving more of the Holy Spirit than in other weeks. You need more of the Holy Spirit, people, to give more of your money away. <laughs> you need more of the Holy Spirit, folks, if you're going to go to more Christian meetings. You need more of the Holy Spirit if you're going to do some cooking and tidy the house and have people round wrecking it and eating your stuff. But we need to take a, a community view. We need more of the Holy Spirit so we retain this kind of togetherness that was there from the beginning. We need more of the Holy Spirit so that outsiders are attracted to what we've got. Because they were then and they are now and they will be even more so as we press into these things. We need more of the Holy Spirit and sometimes we'll be the givers and sometimes we'll be the receivers. Hallelujah. I just want to uh, finish by looking at the three together statements I noted earlier. So look at verse 44, spirit-led generosity, I'm calling this. It says this, all the believers were together. Say, were together. 
were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You see, generosity is intrinsically linked to togetherness. Even the words are closely related. The word translated as common, when you get down to verse 44 and had everything in common, is related to the word fellowship, I'm told, by the Greek scholars. And so is the word generosity. These things you can't separate. Generosity from togetherness. If you're not generous, then it's because you've not got the togetherness. They go together. Of course, generosity starts with an open heart. It starts with an open um, arms, but it also involves an open home and an open wallet. Being filled with the Holy Spirit frees us from two common Christian errors regarding giving. One error is this. I give little, I give nothing, because I'm under grace, not under law. It's true. You live under grace and not under law. There is absolutely no compulsion to give anything. But I suggest that that Christian, whilst they might have a theology of God's grace, they still need the Holy Spirit to bring them into an experience of God's grace. Because it releases us from that era of giving. That's why maybe God's speaking to us about generosity this morning. I was so moved by those words. Kindness, generosity, the goodness of God. We need to know it. And the Holy Spirit was just drilling it into us. Because it's going to release us into new levels of spirit-led generosity. The other error we can fall into is just giving 10.0000% of our income to God. Done it. Job done. And depending on our means, that could be very generous. But I suggest that that Christian, if that is their habit, is directed more by Old Testament law than by the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of them. There's something I know about a tax. <laughs> we don't call it that, do we? we? Call it tithe. It's a polite word for it. That we like. <laughs> Especially one that doesn't increase when income bans increase. But that's not spirit-filled generosity. Or it's not necessarily spirit-filled generosity. And it's clear that these acts of generosity, people selling property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, they were completely voluntary. There was no insistence on common ownership. There was a community of people, I'm told, who lived just east of Jerusalem, a few miles, called the Qumran community, great model of community, but it was an insistence. Oh, you have to give it all up. If you wanted to become a monk or a nun, I guess even today, you have to relinquish all your personal wealth. Put it into the common pot. That's not what's going on here. That's not Holy Spirit-led generosity. It's the Holy Spirit and him alone who tells some, go and sell a house. And tells others, go and give away a car. And tells others, go and fast for two days and give the money or the food that you would have had and give it to somebody who needs it. It's the Holy Spirit that will prompt us. Because the Holy Spirit knows the needs. And the Holy Spirit knows your heart. And the Holy Spirit knows you. And the Holy Spirit has adventures for you in him. Spirit-led generosity, that's what we're aiming for. Spirit-led meetings. Let's look at verse 46a. Every day they continued to meet together. Say, meet together. 
meet together. In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes. You see, meeting together was a natural, automatic response to being spirit-filled as a believer. It, it wasn't the converts, the, it was those converts who were genuinely added to their number. How do you work out whether they're added to their number? Because they're around, they're there, they're with you in the homes, in the meetings, in the gatherings of various types. It's, those are the disciples they counted. They didn't count the other ones. They didn't rely on ringing bells or, or Swish buildings or coffee catch-ups or, or pestering text emails or, or messages and reminders. No, they relied on the inner working of the Holy Spirit. I need to be with these people. They're my family. Like Rosemary was saying, they're mine. They're, they're, they're what I've got. There's something. God's done something. He's connected me to these people in a special way. So powerful was this spirit-induced instinct that it brought together people of all cultures, all ethnicities, even languages. What a challenge that would be. People who were slave and free, noblemen and commoners, young and old, male and female, in a way that's never been achieved by any other society in history. And it won't be, because it's unique, because it's spirit-inspired, spirit-produced, spirit-fruit. And if believers drift from meeting together, it can be symptomatic of a deeper problem between them and the Holy Spirit. Might not be, but it might be. Do you know the story, Chariots of Fire? Let me tell you a little bit about it. Eric Liddell, one of the favorites for the 100 meters in the 1924 Paris Olympics. A Scottish guy. He was also an international rugby player. So a very sporty lad. But his heat was scheduled for a Sunday. So highly did he value meeting together with God's people that he withdrew from the 100 meters. Can you imagine Usain Bolt having done that? And he went instead, on the day of his heat, he was in a church on another side of Paris and was given an opportunity to share there. Now he did go on to the 200 meters, his other primary race, and he got a bronze. But more than that, do you know the story? Yeah? He was given an opportunity to run in the 400 meters, not especially special event. I mean, what 100 meter gold medalist do you know has ever won the 400 meters? Doesn't it happen? Not even Usain Bolt, as I say, could have done that. And he was in the outside lane in the final. He just snuck in. He was one of the slowest of the qualifiers. And he, he just ran. And he won the race in Olympic record time, beating two previous world record holders by five meters. Because God honored him. Because God honored him. An Academy Award-winning film has been made about him called Chariots of Fire. So did he value? It's, it's a spirit-led passion. I've got to be with God's people. That if my glory, I suspend for his glory. It's wonderful. I read a little bit more about him. And later, he, was, he became a missionary in China. He gave it all up at the peak of his athletic prowess. I, didn't, I guess they didn't make much money about it anyway. But anyway, he was a missionary in China, which is where he was born also. And the Japanese invaded in the eastern part of China, and he was in that part. He ended up in a prison of war, I guess, or kind of internment camp. Uh, and, uh, and he was there for the rest of his life. I think he died there in 1945. And there were lots of children there. And he gathered up the children and put on some sports, and he would referee the matches. And he didn't referee on Sunday. But then the kids were playing up and fighting and bickering, and it was going horribly wrong. So he said, yeah, I will, I will referee on Sunday. You see... 
Eric Liddell, you could dismiss as just a legalist, one of those old-fashioned Christians. No, but I think he, he was spirit-led. The spirit led him, no, no, I'm not going to run that race. I am going to referee these kids. Same day of the week. It's not about the day of the week. It's spirit-led devotion to Jesus and devotion to meeting with God's people. And spirit-led hospitality. Look at the end of 46. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. Say, ate together. Ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Making us feel hungry now, Tim. Uh, It's almost dinner time, don't worry. Now, it's easy to overlook this little detail. We've got some lovely things. We've got signs of wonders and possessions being sold, and they ate together. We could miss it. Don't miss it. Hospitality is a key theme in the New Testament. Meals play a role one commentator estimated, in one in five sentences in Luke and Acts, the two books that Luke wrote. One in five sentences is a context, is a meal, is, is food around. Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. So much was he eating and drinking and going around eating and drinking with people. He promoted parts of a meal, the Passover meal, the bread and the wine, we're going to take them in a minute, as acts of worship for the church universal forever. That came from a meal. Hospitality is right at the center of togetherness for the church. And there are many expressions of hospitality I know. Over half term, it was wonderful to hear 26 ladies gathered for a meal that Lorraine had organized. Wonderful. Uh, and you guys at Cowardy Wood, who, who made your food? Hopefully you know. Colin and Sandra made the food a hospi- hospitable act, if there ever was one. Men's breakfast yesterday. Thank you, Roy. For those croissants, I had three, they were great. <laughs> some with meat in it, some with cheese in it, some with marmalade in it. Oh, this is like the trio, brilliant. And some of you made food for the winter night shelter. Some homeless people received hospitality from this church last night and again this morning. Uh, we've set the ball rolling on cooked breakfast. Now all the churches are feeling, all we've got to do a church. But anyway... It was spirit-led. It's not legalistic. It's spirit-led. Red started it. We've got to keep it going now. Uh, It's bacon, eggs, and all sorts of things coming out. But it was spirit-led hospitality. My prayer is that there'll be an explosion of this in the church. It goes on. Don't get me wrong. I've, I've appreciated many of your homes and much of your food. And I trust you have mine as well. But I, I just feel there's more for the Holy Spirit to lead us into. I feel we need the Holy Spirit to free us from some things. Are you free to serve baked potatoes and beans? Do you feel free to do that? If the Spirit leads you to do that, you should do that. If you, are you, do you feel free to serve up pasta and cheese and some veg? I think we need to be free. Whether we do that or not, it's not the thing. It's, it's whether we feel free. To, we need the Spirit. Do you feel the need to completely spring clean your house before people come in? You need some freedom from the Holy Spirit. No, you don't. No, not many of you do. No, actually, I <laughs> You know, we need to be free to feel like we don't have to live in a home that's fit for country living. We need to be free to, to, to know it doesn't matter if we don't produce something that could be on MasterChef. Although I watched MasterChef yesterday. Did you watch it yesterday? Some lass, she, she, got, she got some pit and bread out of a packet and stuffed it with some things, and she got through. That was yesterday, wasn't it? Can you imagine? So you can, you can do, if they can do it on MasterChef, you can do that with us. I feel we need the Spirit to help free us. I feel we need the Holy Spirit to free us to accept invitations without indebtedness. You don't have to invite me back, ever, or somebody else. 
You, oh, look, don't get me wrong. We've been getting through the bottles of wine and the, and the nice juices and the posh squash you bring around. It's lovely, really lovely. We can, can keep us going for a month. We'd better invite some more people around. It's beautiful. <laughs> and the chocolates and everything. We love it. We love it. Don't, don't stop. But we need to be free not to do that. Not to do that. No expectation, because you might not be able to afford that. And if you think that's culture here, please, it's not. We're just being spirit-led. We want to be spirit-led. You're free. We need the spirit to help us with hospitality. Which is why, after our 40 days, how many 40 days have we got? We've got 40 days of Acts now. <sighs> then, after Easter, 40 days of discipleship. Then, we've got some more time. Let's call them 40 days, before the summer holidays. And I want the life groups to reconvene and practice this kind of stuff. Eat together. Do relational stuff together. Right, I'm ending now. Pears come from orchards because pear trees only bear fruit where two or three are gathered. The second miracle of Pentecost was that it produced a spirit-filled togetherness within the church. Praise God he's doing that here. And he's promised more of his Holy Spirit. That's why we're looking at these things. There's more of the Holy Spirit for us. So let's ask, let's lean into him, let's receive all the Holy Spirit has for us again and again, and let's determine to take a spirit-led approach to our generosity, to meeting together, and to hospitality. Amen? Amen. Okay. Why don't we stand together, if you're able to. We're going to take the bread and the wine. I think the band will come back and pluck gently. We did really think it would be fitting to end this morning breaking bread together, as was mentioned twice in that passage. And it is, isn't it? It's an act of worship. It's an act of thanksgiving. And if you're a believer in Jesus, please get involved. Whether you're part of this church or another church, you're very welcome. But I'd also encourage you to view this as a moment to receive, to receive the Holy Spirit. Yes, we're thankful. Yes, we praise. Yes, we remember Jesus, which all this points to. But let's receive more of the Holy Spirit. And um, actually, I've, I've asked you to stand, but that gives you a little bit of freedom now. I'm going to now ask you to find two or three people to have communion with. And you might want to sit down again for that. And the bread and the wine, thank you, ladies, yes, uh, will come round to you. And in your twos and threes, you might want to pray, you might want to thank God, but in your own time, when you're ready, you have the bread and the wine together and just pray for one another for more of the Holy Spirit in each other's lives and for things that he's inspired this morning, okay? Let's do that. Wonderful. God bless you.